The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show today, brought to you as ever by The Athletic UK. And welcome to your panic-free piece of podcasting perspective. Yes, we're all remaining calm. We may have lost this weekend and some of our relegation rivals may have picked up a result or two. There's still a long way to go in this race. All the analysis coming up of our 3-0 defeat to the champions-elect Manchester City and reaction to the weekend's result, plus a host of your questions at the end of the podcast as well. Joining me today is Farrell Monk. Hello, everyone. Ben Jarman. Hello, Sammy. Hello, everyone. And Marco Dinovellis. Hello. How are we doing? Yeah, all good. We are very well. <laughs> good. Good to hear it. Okay, right. Let's do some uh, three-word reviews then from Saturday night's match. Uh, Farrell, what you got for us? Yeah, there was actually some pretty good ones out there. Um, but got to choose uh, some good ones from the bunch. And... Um, so I'll start off with Fulham Travellers, 15 mad minutes, uh, DW's tossing away points. I think that that's actually come up a few times, but I'll actually input it for this game in particular. Uh, Alistair Nimmo's stones throw away, which actually took me uh, a few seconds to understand the wordplay involved. Uh, Paul Budd's rare rearguard recklessness. And finally, we've got Premier Black's pity but city. Very, very nice indeed. Thank you all for your three-word reviews. Let's come on to the game then. And Ben, I think that pity but city three-word review sums it up for me. Like, yeah, we lost. The mistakes were annoying. But what on earth could anyone have expected reasonably? Well, you know, I thought the first half was really, really bold from Scott. I loved it. I loved every second. I loved what we tried to do. I loved that we went outside the box to try and counter City and I thought the first 45 minutes summed us up we're very organized um we cut off key parts of City and then just 15 minutes of absolute madness in the in the second half sort of killed the game dead and I that second goal absolutely absolutely um broke off the game from a Fulham perspective I mean when you have 45 minutes of some brilliantly well-organized football and then you concede one within 76 seconds of the restart from a very soft free kick and then you sort of are the master of your own downfall with the second it kind of knocks the stuffing out of you but I mean there were p- passages and periods in both halves where I think Fulham were really were quite assertive in the game and we done ourselves proud. Uh, Marco I thought that Scott's tactics for this particularly in the first half were pretty spot on I guess the I brow raising one was uh, Madger going out for for Loftus cheek as as a and he played kind of up top as as a false nine and whilst there's not a lot of firepower in that option I thought it did very very well nullifying the threat that City carried and it meant that we actually had a decent account of ourselves in the midfield yeah no absolutely I, I do sort of suffer as existential crisis every time we play 
Man City because you know they're so good. You're so unlikely to get everything from the game. You sort of wonder what the point of it all is. Um, but <laughs> I think Parker approached it. Yeah, he approached it in a sensible way, um, which is great to see because you know past managers, Jukanovic, uh, to name one, just approached it in a completely mad way uh, playing City. Um, if you're ever going to play without a recognised striker, um, you know, do it against City, a game you're not not expected to win, um, and. First half, yeah, as as Ben said, we were excellent. Um, I think in the second half as well, it is just a, a 13-minute collapse. And in those 13 minutes, at least, you know, two very big individual errors that cost us. So um, very harsh to, to blame Parker's formation or anything like that. I think he, he played it quite cleverly uh, in a way. Um, you know, he potentially rested Madger for for trickier, more important games ahead. Um, you know, I know uh, Deckard Overreed may have been injured, but, you know, this wasn't going to be a game that he would risk him for. He, he ends up taking off uh, a few few players, you know, uh, Lamina and uh, Loftus-Cheek relatively early. So he, he's approached a difficult game in the right way, I think. Yes, you could say, why, why has he not gone for it earlier with the striker? Um, but this isn't going to be the game that's that's going to define our season. No. It's a free pass, and, and it's it's good that Parker could see that. Um, Farrell, I guess it was just disappointing in the game yesterday that it was Fulham's mistakes that allowed City to win the game. It wasn't City's brilliant play for really any of the goals. I mean, a, a, a free kick which was poorly defended a calamitous mistake from Anderson and Cavalero and then, and then a penalty that will be what will irk Scott Parker a bit. It wasn't city didn't earn the win really did they Fulham did gift it to them, albeit of course those mistakes, those unforced errors come about because we are facing a talented side. I, I do agree to a certain extent, but I think we're actually doing a bit of disservice to the opponents that Fulham were up against. Um, you know, in the in the especially when you think about the first half, yes, it was actually like I was, you know, as a lot of Fulham fans were very pleased about the first half, but it kind of felt like, um, and this is going to be weird to say, it kind of felt like the style of plays that both teams were setting up with were very very brave, like Ben said, and it felt like it was a more sort of like top of the table clash between that we've seen in recent years between Man City and Liverpool, both teams really going gung ho for it, and it was either going to be a massive bit of brilliance or a mistake that was going to sort of decide it in between the uh, in between the two teams and that's kind of what we saw really um i thought that both teams defended absolutely brilliantly for that first half uh you know fulham caught out um man city with the offside trap a lot of the time and that's just brilliant brilliant coach that's brilliant the way that they've got this defensively set up that Every single time that the ball is breaking down, the defensive line is coming up. And yes, Man City were getting in, but it was always offside and it wasn't even like close or anything. So we were doing very, very well in that respect. And I think Man City were doing very well as well because both teams were trying to sort of nick the ball off um, each other high up the pitch. I think that's probably the thinking behind Man City setting up with, you know, to start off with Aguero and Jesus um, as two sort of strikers trying to put pressure on on our on our back line and in the same way not really playing with an out and out striker but midfielders you know, higher up the pitch who are used to sort of like nicking balls off players not necessarily to Mitrovic's or Madger's strength as we've seen so 
you know, I think that you you we please by the way of that. But like I said before, a bit of brilliance or a mistake was going to decide it. And I think that actually that the first goal for that free kick, or you know, annoyingly it did come so soon after the second half had had begun. Um, it yeah. was a very good free kick. We were playing that usual high line, but Stones times his run to absolute perfection. It's a nice little finish from him. My only question about it is, and you know, we have been stung by this in the past, and it's one of my little gripes about this high line that we do play, especially from deep free kicks, is that you'd expect in that situation, Ariola ready to come out and get that ball because there is so much space for him to go and grab it. But we don't do that. I mean, it's worked to a large extent throughout the whole season. So I don't want to be too critical. We were just caught out this one time. And then then the mistakes started happening again with, with City trying to win the ball high off us. And it worked for them. And we're on the receiving end of a brutal, brutal 15 minutes. Charms, um, Adam Van Carson did a um, tweet, which did actually age like milk, but it did make me laugh. And it was very true at the time. He said, reckon this Fulham offside trap could catch the Zodiac killer, um, which I really enjoyed. But then he did that about 23 minutes into the game. And then obviously within three quarters of an hour, um, it was kind of proved wrong through uh, John Stones' goal. But I don't think we've talked about it much on the podcast yet. The offside trap that Fulham have been employing this season. It does seem to work game after game after game. And even an attack as talented as Man City in the first half really struggled with it and I guess what's extra clever I think about implementing the offside trap now is that with the advancement of VAR and look I hate those millimeter offsides as much as everyone else but they're actually playing into Fulham's advantage because unlike in years gone by you could play the offside trap but the linesman might miss it right now you know that even a hair's width offside will be will be caught by VAR. And so it's really working for Fulham this season. And no team yet has really found a way to properly counter it. Well, to be fair to Fulham, I think they've done excellently over the past sort of two or three months with that offside trap. It's very high and it's very risky, but it's executed to perfection. And I think the thing with Fulham is that we have been susceptible for the, with those crosses from slightly deeper areas that get in that corridor of uncertainty for a long time. But having a a offside trap up that high sort of negates that slightly. Um, I think it's just, as Farrell alluded to, and you've alluded to there, just excellent coaching on, on our part and the understanding that the two centre-halves have. One thing I, I would like to point out is that on that on that first City goal, um, just before it's taken, you can see uh, Anderson telling the back line to sort of wait. You can see him audibly shouting, wait, wait, before the ball is kicked. And I think that we may have dropped maybe a split second too late there for the for the Stones goal. But I, other than that, I think that's the only blip that Fulham have had in terms of their back line for, for going on two, two or three months now. Um, and I think it's, it's testament to the coaching, but also testament to the talent we've got across that back line that are so versatile and so well drilled and and so understanding of each other. I don't think there's an awful lot to say, Marco, about the second goal. It was a mistake from Anderson. He clattered it into Cavalero and what more 
can really be said. But I wanted to come on to the third goal. It was clumsy from Tosin and and that was extra disappointing for him, especially against his former side. And I'm sure he'd have been pretty desperate to put in a, a good performance against his former employers to, uh, to show them maybe what they were missing. But it was a bit of a needless challenge because Bernardo Silva wasn't really going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not going to criticise uh, a Fulham player who has vintage uh, demon internet and Pizza Hut shirts in his spare time. You know, the, the man's, <laughs> man's legend, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and also, you know, he's, he's played incredibly well all season. Um, and yeah, as you said, it's sad for him against a, a club, his old club, that he'd obviously want to, to really prove what he can do against. Um, it's just a classic classic defender error you you end up you know making a mistake that gives the ball away and then conceding the foul um but but you know Cav doesn't wear uh, vintage Fulham shirts in his spare time and I would definitely say that it was his fault rather than uh Anderson's fault for the first uh, for the second goal where he's you know doing what Cav sometimes does and uh, try and try and do a bit too much for for the situation and for his level and just sort of running into danger um, sort of really that cemented the, the City win. So, yeah, on, on Tosin, I, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. He's, he's been really solid. It's just a, a bad blip. And I'm sure from the character that it seems like he has, it's something he'll he'll just rise up and, and perform better next time. It's something Parker said at the end of the game, that this this squad, and it's as much down to Parker as anything, um, you know, if, if you get a setback, they will bounce back. And we've seen that. You know, I, I was very much down in the dumps a few weeks ago where we were drawing nil-nil every week and couldn't score. But credit to Parker for not, not you know, being like fans are and uh, just being consistently bouncing back, keeping belief. I think Tosin is probably one of the, the leading members of the team who, who subscribes to that philosophy and uh, he'll hopefully do very well in our next two games. Crucial to again. Yeah. Um, speaking of Tosin's latest clobber, yeah, this does, he does seem to have um, jumped on this trend. Yeah, he wore the um, old Demon Internet shirt whilst I think maybe gaming or something in his lounge and then recently uh, posted a picture with the um, iconic 2001-2002 uh, Pizza Hut red and black striped kit. Um, as the panel, I don't know if Tosin listens. I mean, he seems to have an interest in the Fulham community. What clobber would we like to see Tosin in, in next I'd like to see him in some kind of Fulham bucket hat oh, Fulham bucket hat 100% if if he really wants I've got a Betfair shirt that he can have it's probably a bit too big for me so it'll probably suit him you know yeah Bet, Betfair is a good one you know Tosin just DM me it's all yours we were talking just before we started recording about uh, the money that we've saved from not going on away days and I've seemed to have spent it all on eBay uh, and picking up more and more of these these shirts and I think I'm actually bidding up against Tosin Adebayo the whole time which is quite <laughs> annoying so Tosin if you're listening listening could you uh please please stop um I'm actually I'm actually wearing um one of my purchase lockdown purchases right now I'm wearing a the Berbatov golden golden black uh, golden white uh sash one from the 2012-13 season which I was absolutely delighted to uh, get my um get my hands on although it's a bit worrying that um since my lockdown since lockdown that i i'm no longer fitting in mediums and larges anymore which is probably the saddest thing there's no try there's no try before you buy on ebay unfortunately well beautifully farrell if you don't fit them anymore then i'm assuming tosin is like a medium large you can just donate them to him for his next photo shoot 
Yeah, I suppose. These are rare commodities. I think I should rent them out to him. Well, he's probably got a bob or two, hasn't he? He's a professional footballer at the end of the day. Um, Just quick aside, um, I'm just reading the Fulham match reports from the game. This is what I tend to do when I do the podcast. I just tend to have the um, match report from the official Fulham website. And um, it says, after rounding Areola, the striker smashed home to the delight of a boisterous city analysis department bellowing their joy from a deserted Johnny Haynes stand. The fan club was rewarded again in the 60th minute when Tosin got caught in possession and fell to Torres while trying to battle back. I mean, <laughs> a little bit salty from whoever wrote the um, match report, but I, I enjoy it. A little bit of bias um, never hurt anyone. Um, the rest of the game, Farrell, was kind of a non-event, really. City took their foot off the gas. One interesting thing for me, though, was the performance of Mitrovic, who I thought came on and did a really good job for half an hour, particularly that nearly assist for Josh Onoma, which he slid through perfectly, holding off a couple of City defenders. Um, I don't think we've seen Mitrovic anywhere near his best this season. That's pretty obvious to say. But there was just a, a point yesterday where I thought he came on and looked more confident than we've seen him in a, in a long time. Yeah, I think it would be very kind to say it was a very good performance when he did come on. Like, I'm a big fan of Mitrovic, and I think that for what he's lacking in terms of pace, he sort of more than makes up for it in terms of enthusiasm. He really, really, you can see it when he comes on the pitch, how much he wants to, to impress. And, you know, he tried to sort of, you know, go for absolutely everything and do do anything in his power to get to bring Fulham back into this game. Um, you know, it's a nice bit of forward play to set up. Um, yeah, as uh, Josh Onimer, one of the the two forgotten men from either side that came on with half an hour to go. We we brought on brought on Josh Onimer and Man City brought on Eric Garcia, who hardly featured at all in such a long time for them. Um, so you know, um, but for me. After the, the 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 brief cameos that I've seen of Mitrovic so far, I really want him to do well. Don't get me wrong, but I I feel like he's so off the pace. And in a game where we were talking about before about being sort of like high octane and whatnot, it just doesn't suit Mitrovic Mitrovic's strengths. I feel that he potentially is not really an impact sub to to perform that kind of like trying to win the balls high up the pitch as basically Scott Parker has done for, you know, when Mitrovic was fit earlier on the season and, and lost his place in the team. Um, but I'd love to see him do well. I'd love to see him go back, but I just don't think yesterday was, was particularly right for him. You know, it would have been absolutely wonderful to see Josh Onimer slide that one past Edison, but it fortunately, unfortunately wasn't to be though. Fair enough. Okay. Right. We're going to take a quick break because I don't think there's an awful lot more to discuss from a 3-0 defeat. Uh, and then afterwards, we're going to look at the rest of the relegation battle and take some of your questions in. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by Ben Jarman. Hello. hello. Farrell Monk. Hello. And Marcadina Novellis. Hello, Sammy. Right. Let's talk about the rest of the relegation battle um it's so tight at the bottom now that i feel like it's almost an essential part of each podcast to discuss how a few other teams are doing most namely uh brighton newcastle and burnley and jams 
Um, not a great weekend from a Fulham perspective. Uh, the Burnley win at Everton was annoying considering how good Everton have been lately. Um, Newcastle picking up a point late against Villa was also quite annoying considering how close Villa were to getting all three points. And I think the most annoying result of the weekend has to be Brighton going to Southampton and getting a 2-1 win. Um, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, we are very much a, a panic-free podcast today, but it could have gone a little bit better for us, couldn't it? So it was a weekend where there was three absolutely stinking results for us in terms of the teams in and around us. That that Newcastle goal, I was fuming. I slammed my laptop down. I was like, in no way did they really deserve that. But then if we look at the, the Burnley game... It's typical Everton really, isn't it? It's They've been on such a great run and then it, it, they always seem to have sort of like a run of three or four good results and then they out Everton themselves. Um, and I feel like that's ex- that's exactly what happened against Burnley. Um, Burnley flew out the traps. They looked pretty decent, but they, you would expect Everton to overcome them. And then the result today, I mean, it is, it is a bit of a stinker. It makes your heart sink, but we're still... Two two points off, uh, or three points off the the closest rival. Two points behind Newcastle and three points behind Brighton. Yeah, still got a lot of very winnable games in there as well. Um, so I I still think we have as good a chance as we did, you know, before the weekend started. Albeit we're now going to have to obviously win a game. I think Newcastle are in a downward spiral that they they might not be able to reverse. And weirdly, I think someone who is very much under the influence um, rang into uh, 606 yesterday so that Newcastle were playing beautiful football. They trusted <laughs> Steve Bruce and thought they were going to stay up. So um, whatever he's smoking, um, please give to give to us. What was his name? Steve Bruce or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think his name was uh, Ike Mashley. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, that, what a way. That must have just been someone in the 606 production team thinking, how can we rile up some Newcastle fans tonight? Let's have a bit, <laughs> let's have a bit of fun. Go outside, put on a fake Geordie accent and um, just, just, just get the phones ringing. It um, was so forced as well. You would have thought it was fake. Like It was like, you're really lads. Like proper... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's unreal. Yeah. Like kind of Chris Pink radio uh, um, calls yeah. from, from the noughties. Um, Marco, what's your thoughts on, on the relegation battle? I mean, Newcastle do seem like in a downward spiral. That game next weekend where it's Brighton versus Newcastle and obviously Fulham play Leeds next weekend um, is massive. What is the ideal result from that game? Well, I think the fact that we play on Friday night is huge. So if we can get a result from that game, we put so much pressure on on both the teams that maybe, you know, they'll cancel each other out, get a draw. I think I think Newcastle are showing all the hallmarks of, of being a, a relegated team. Um, hopefully I'm not jinxing it by saying that, but, you know, they've, they've got injuries to their best players. They're having training ground bust-ups. So no one's been sent off to Turkey yet, but it might as well have been. Um, under pressure manager um, and the fixture list that they've got is, is also pretty awful after after that Brighton game. So it's such a big game for them that, that we can really set the agenda by getting a result against Leeds. Um, so yeah, definitely Newcastle would be the ones I'd be, especially after uh, Brighton's win, uh, could be the one one to look out for. And if you, I, I think probably the other teams are. Um, probably okay but Southampton's 
form has been terrible. They've got massive injuries um, and they've just had that sort of devastating loss. Um, again, fixtures aren't that great, so they could fall into it as well. I, I think now we know that, that we're, we're not getting, it's going to sound strange, nothing's coming up from below us. Um, we're, we're all right in, in that uh, there. West Brom and Sheffield United absolutely finished. Look what happens when you get rid of a manager that all the players like and believe in despite results. Yeah. Um, so we're all right there. It's, it's just, uh, I think it's Fulham Newcastle for the, for the end of the season. Yeah, exactly. I will disagree with you though on Southampton. They're uh, I know they might be tempting to think that they can be dragged into it, but um, their running is very kind. The only team of any, I guess they've got Leicester and they've got Liverpool, but other than that, they don't really face anyone in the top six between now and the end of the season. So, uh, and their next three games, Burnley at home, West Brom away, Crystal Palace at home. I guess if they had a massive fail against all three of those teams, then they've got Leicester and Liverpool, then they'd face us, then there could be something in the picture. But I think Southampton have to lose their next three for there even to be a chance of anyone catching them. I just think they've just got too many points on the board and their running is fairly kind. Um, Farrell, um, let's go to some questions and I'll start off with you. It's slightly related to what we were talking about before. Uh, Max Tomlinson asks, with Brighton winning today uh, and the better result, is it now almost definitely a two-horse race? Uh, Aid Robbins also asks the exact same question. Are Brighton too good to be relegated? Is this now a two-horse race? Um, I, I've got to say that I do agree with them uh, even before the result earlier today. I actually, I mean, I, I was speaking to friends of mine and they were talking about what, what result was best between Brighton and Southampton. And I actually said that I'm not really that bothered about it because I think Brighton, are a set, they've been playing really, really well without getting the results, much like Fulham have been for the last few months. And it was only a matter of time before a result like that came out. And I think that they do have enough about them to be able to win games between now and the end of the season, Dan Byrne aside. Um, and, you know, I think that Southampton, again, they've got an, they have got enough about them. They are in a, they're in a terrible run of form, but they have been playing relatively okay. It's been a bit up and down. But as you quite rightly say, they've got a very, they've got a very, you know, nice run in between now and the end of the season i just feel that you know considering the situation that we're in we only need one team to fail um you know the two teams below us are down and out um it's going to be absolutely something remarkable from west brom to to get out to get out of you know what a, the situation that they're in we only need one team and that one team is quite obviously newcastle united you know they are they're not very good at the moment some of their best players are out injured um, I don't want to, you know, touch on, um, you know, the stuff that Marco was talking about before, but you know, they're 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 not a very good football team. Um, Steve Bruce has got to again do something remarkable to to keep them out of it, and that's the that's the team that Fulham have got to target. The only reason why the only reason why they got a point yesterday was, and I'm and this person is now going to wedge himself right inside my head for quite some time as Ross Barkley. As soon as he came on the pitch yesterday, a mate texted me, a villa mate, and said, Ross Barkley has been wank for such a long time now and he is going to lose us this game. And within 30 seconds, he fell over. He fell over, gave the ball away um, and slipped and numerous times gave Newcastle United chances 
to score a goal. And I think that he also gave the ball away, which led to the which led to the set piece which they eventually scored from. I was like texting my mates, going, please someone will someone text um Dean Smith to take Ross Barkley off. He is going to sabotage this game for us. And and you know, I feel like if Newcastle stay up by points now, I'm going to solely blame Ross Barkley for it. Farrell's personal vendetta <laughs> against Ross Barkley. I mean, he is a terrible footballer, to be fair. Um the Matt Pettit asks, I'll go to you on this one, Jarms. Mitro and Madja up front, f- pros and cons. Feel like Mitro behind him could work. Um, I think it could work, but would that sacrifice some of the midfield control? Uh, so are we talking about him playing as like a 4-4-2? Or... I, yeah, I, I think so. I don't know. And, and to be honest, I, I don't really like it because I think that it means that there's too much control lost in midfield. Uh, as you as you rightly said, Sammy, I think it would go back to the sort of, I think a two-man midfield and Fulham don't really suit. We sort of need three three bodies in there. Um, I, I'd also say that we've seen the best out of Harrison Reid in a, in a three-man midfield with, with someone in front of him and in the pivot. Um, and I think that if we brought Mitrovic on and partnered him with Madja, then we'd be sacrificing other parts of the team that are working so well at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not quite sure that that's... Um, I mean, for me personally, Matt might see it differently and, and a couple of you guys on the panel might see it differently, but I, I don't see that working particularly well um, in, in my eyes. I think it gives up too much control to the other team and it also makes us quite easy to play for in, in the first third. Marco, a couple of people just slightly related to the question that Ben asked. Uh, George Cox 6 says, would you like Mitro to start against Leeds as Madja looks ineffective at times? And Thomas Farrell, 07, says Mitro or Madja next week. So who would you go with? Uh, Madja. I, I think Mitro, the best I've seen him play this year when he really held the ball up very well was probably that New Year's Eve fixture um, one-on-one against Milivojevic, however you say his name. Um, probably the best I've seen him move. <laughs> his, uh, I think this whole season's just been a write-off for Mitro. I know he's had a hard time. Um, but I would not play him. And, and yeah, he's all these big smiles and sort of bombs around a bit, but his impact on games is, is very little at the moment and it's, it's quite sad to watch. And I hope, you know, we, we keep him and we can hone, hone the talent there and he can continue to deliver because, you know, I'm being uh, a bit facetious. He's been a brilliant player for us. But, you know, Madra versus Mitro, what do you get from Madra that you don't from Mitro? Um, you get that mobility that's crucial to Parker's whole system. Um, you get someone who uh, I think, you know, seems to link up a little bit better with with players around him than Mitro is doing at the moment. I know he had some, some uh, good touches when he came on. Um, against City and yeah to be fair he did, did fairly well but um, a game against uh, I'm at, at home you know I'm, I'm more inclined to give Mitro a shot at home I don't think he should go anywhere near an, an away bus um, but um, yeah short answer Madra over Mitro mainly because of the mobility and um, just keeping going what, what's been working well for us you know um, that Liverpool win we were really mobile um, up front um, you know, storming forward all over the pitch. I know Maja missed missed a few opportunities, but 
I don't think Mitro would have would have got in those positions to have those opportunities. Yeah, um, you know that um, meme which is uh, you really had me go. They really had us going in the first half when you were talking about um, <laughs> Mitrovic playing well on New Year's Eve. I was thinking, who did we play on New Year's Eve? Milivojevic. We didn't play Palace. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, you're talking about <laughs> you really. Uh, yeah, really got me there. Well done, Marco. Um, yeah, it was a half. If, if you analyze it though the great sort of body movement he really sort of <laughs> shoulders I mean, it's worth it's worth looking back at if you can find it uh right let's go on to some questions that are slightly unrelated to the team and playing right now uh jozo collection get one of their posters still available on the old fulhamish shop uh asks if you had to only pick one of our low knees to stay next season which one would you choose farrell uh how would you like to answer this um very philosophical question crikey i mean we i swear this question has come up pretty much every year since fulhamish has been in existence due to the fact that we tend to rely a lot on the loan system we love them. We absolutely love them. But because we now have seven that regularly feature in the starting lineup, this is this is quite something to 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 keep a hold of. Um, I mean, the the first one that springs to mind, and I think there is a case for absolutely every single one of them. The first one that springs to mind for me is is Jakim Anderson, purely because of I think that we potentially don't have another player like him ready to come in, and I think he'd provide the biggest value. Um, as well you know you can look at Ariola, who is obviously fantastic as well but you know Rodak is there waiting in the squad um yeah I think that you know pretty much all of those players like I said is is excellent in their own regard but I think Anderson would provide the biggest value to our squad the disrespect for Terence Congolo there, Farrell, is absolutely astonishing. Uh, ben, um, your one loney. Oh boy, um, uh, I've got his shirt, so I'm going to have to say Anderson. But I, I, but I love Ariola as well. It's basically between them two for Player of the Year, isn't it? Um, I was thinking earlier on that actually someone like Tosin could be in with such a good shout, but those two have been incredible. So um, yeah, I'll say. I'll say Anderson uh, for me for next year. And none of you have mentioned Lookman. I was going to say, is, is this if we if we get if we get relegated or stay up? I assume stay up because of and obviously it's it's not a a real question. It's not going to be a situation where we can only have one. I guess it's maybe just asking which of the loanees are your favourite and which one would you keep if you <laughs> could only pick one. Because uh, I'd just love to see Lookman and just tear up the championship, but yeah, I think Anderson's the most important because because of Tosin and because of that back back two and keeping that together. If you sign Anderson, you you're pretty much cementing that that partnership for the future. So you sort of get two for the price of one there. Congolo and Tosin in the championship would be lit though. I think that there's a <laughs> you know big possibility that Congolo and Tosin could be our centre back partnership, no matter what division we're in next year because if even, even if we stay up i think there's a big chance that we can't keep hold of anderson and i do think that congolo is not quite and I mean, we haven't seen enough of him really to make a judgment he might be as good as anderson but that, he's that certainly... game against qpr in the cup congolo was quality <laughs> to be honest yeah QPR got, um i remember watching and thinking he was brilliant and he hadn't played he hadn't played a single minute for about a year 
Right. Um, Harry Saunders asks, Ben, I mm. thought this was a really interesting point. Farrell mentioned it earlier because we were actually talking about it before the podcast. He says, have you all started getting money ready for season ticket slash away days? Obviously, you know, it looks like football attending football should be coming back at the beginning of next season. I mean, who knows with, with the pandemic, but with, with the way it's going, you'd like to think so. And it's been weird for me this season because, you know, normally attend every home game and about 40 to 50% of away games. And that's a lot of money left in your pocket. So I just thought, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Jarms. Are you saving up for a season ticket? It's been quite weird not having that in my life, you know, not just the price of the ticket and the train travel, but also, you know, drinking out in the pubs and the ground and all of that. Like it does add up, um, you know, watching Fulham most weeks. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm massively missing uh, going to the pub with you boys before the game and uh, like going to the Old Suffolk Punch afterwards. Uh, apparently Old Suffolk Punch is no more. It isn't. But I mean... Before, like when the stand was going up, I was just sort of like, ah, I'm not really bothered. Like, yeah, we're gonna have a new stand. It's Craven Cottage is gonna get bigger. There'll be more people there. It'll be better for the club. And I was thinking, like, I don't really have any any real desire to go and sit in it. But now I've seen it and the way it overlooks, you know, the rest of London, the way it looks up against the side of the river. I'm like pretty desperate to go and sit in it at some point. So I'm, I'm thinking, I uh, I might try and get a season ticket in there or at least a, a few games from that vantage point. And yeah, I'm, I'm actually like, I'm nowhere near Drew's level of like scaffold shagging, but I, I am very much on board of like, I want to go and sit in that new stand. <laughs> I mean, the view from the top of the riverside, you know, of that pitch and overlooking London, you could argue maybe the best football view, maybe in the world. Like, honestly, can you think of many better where you're in a stand and you've got a better view? I know that there's quite a nice view from the top of St. James's Park, but it doesn't help that you can't see the pitch because it's so high up. Um, And I guess maybe (laughs) a stadium like Braga with its kind of impressive on a mountain face view is quite good. But there's that incredible stadium in Mexico that's got like, that is basically like at a foot of of a mountain. It's got a jungle at the bottom of it, but I can't remember who plays there. I'll look it up. But yeah, that view is going to be pretty incredible. I mean, Marco, you obviously uh, attend a lot of uh, away games. Um, You know, have you noticed a difference in your back pocket? I guess obviously you have, but it's just weird not having that in our lives. And and the fact that it's gone on for over a year now, I think it's almost a year to the day since that Brentford game was called off. Um, It really adds up. Yeah, I remember that Brentford game because it was called off on the day. I had the ticket sort of, I think it's still in my bed, so I'd say, but ticket ready to go, you know, planning the evening and then it all sort of went went wrong from there. And then always looking back at, at that last um, Bristol City game, I remember, uh, not sure if there's a podcast fit, but I'll say it anyway. <laughs> um, it was quite a large young lad uh, at the away end to Bristol City. It was, this was like a 12 o'clock game or something, wasn't it? He had a bit too much to drink and uh, suffered a little bit. And uh, people were sort of watching as he sort of collapsed on the floor and, and made a big scene. And then uh, <laughs> it turned out he ended up at the front of the uh, away end in a, under a blanket with a Diet Coke or something and, and was roundly cheered by everyone. I thought it, was, it just sort of summed up what we're missing from our lives at the moment, which is you know, that bit of enjoyment of, on the weekend and um, just going to these awful northern towns um like you know your your barnsleys and your 
Wolverhamptons and, and just having a, a great day out. And it's it's well worth the investment. The, the returns are there. Um, uh, so I look forward to, to investing again next year. I mean, Barnsley could be in the Premier League if they if they keep it up. I mean, I said it on Twitter yesterday. I said if Barnsley could somehow beat Brentford in the playoffs and, and come up to the Premier League with Corley Woodrow scoring the winner and Fulham stay up, then we could be on for the greatest finale <laughs> of all time. Right, um, we're going to leave the questions there. Uh, we're going to take another quick break. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast It's Sammy here with Ben Farrell and Marco. So just before we finish the podcast today, um, Farrell, uh, we got uh, this text from you at 10 to one today in the Fulhamish WhatsApp group. How's your Sunday? Just spent the last 30 minutes finding out whether Sunday at midday is really the worst for football matches. Turns out it has above average goals. Just Saturday is the outlier as it gets worse as the day progresses. The opposite to every other day as you were Farrell monk kiss. Um, Farrell, you must have been particularly bored today because you've sent us a full spreadsheet telling us which are the best times kickoffs for goals and the lack of goals. So what were your key findings? Uh, I mean, I was hoping you didn't bring this up because you're you're ruining my, you know, from the Fulhamish fans perspective, the coolness <laughs> that I have tried to to uh, purvey to, to the listeners. But, you know, you've just smashed it in one go. I would have thought the owner of Fulham Football Club wouldn't have to do this kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Spreadsheet sugar. I, I need to get my PR man to to have a word with you now. Um, oh. But yeah, I had a very different Sunday. I got up, I got up and I went for a run for the first time since, um, well, football was back on and I lasted about a mile before having to sulk and come home because I was too, too knackered, <laughs> uh, getting ready for the football season to, to recommence in a few weeks' time, hopefully, um, and then obviously the the lack of oxygen going to my to my brain has the thought that while I was watching the Southampton Brighton game, I was thinking to myself, "Ah, oh, you know, we always complain about the Sunday midday kickoff, and you know how you know such a waste it is, and it's always so boring and whatnot." And I decided, well, why don't I have a look and find out? And yeah, I mean, you know, if we're just looking. It looks like Sunday midday does actually have just about higher average goals than usual. Um, the worst time on a usual sort of kickoff basis is Monday evenings. They only get 2.3 goals per game uh, from a usual average of 2.7. But, you know, let's let's put a full in perspective on it. Friday night is our next game coming up. It's an, it's They've got average amount of goals, so... You know, don't expect a goal fest and don't expect a nil-nil. So, yeah, maybe that's going to be good for our for our goal difference coming coming on Friday night against Leeds. And that's the last you'll hear of me talking about it. Um, well done, Farrell. It was uh, good. You know, you did some productive work today. You went for a run. You made a spreadsheet. And that's surely your kind of Sunday. So, um, well, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, Farrell, all that you're required to do now is not make a spreadsheet, but you do need to uh, pick the podcast name. Uh, okay, so uh, I'm going to go with Alistair Nimmo's Stones Throw Away. Brilliant stuff. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening today. Um, 
What could you say about a 3-0 defeat against City? Turns out not an awful lot. Bigger games on the horizon, particularly that one on Friday. Um, 2.6 goals expected as per Farrell Monk's chart. So uh, we'll see what happens in that one. But three points, definitely essential. Uh, Myself, Jack and Peter, the regular Thursday club, uh, will have a podcast previewing that match as ever. Uh, All that remains for me to do is thank my guest, Ben Jarman. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sammy. Good to be on. Marco Dilavellas, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sammy. And Farrell Monk, thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right, have a good week. We will be back in the week. Coming your eyes. Toodles. Toodles.